Let's begin now. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode two. Episode duh of Some Sanity with Morgan Zeggers. I am in my usual studio. I am taking off tomorrow morning for a flight to CPAC, so I'm kind of pre-recording this one. Hopefully nothing crazy happens between the time I record this right now and post it, but it's 2021, so let's just cross our fingers on that one. Um, uh, You guys, thank you so much for coming back for episode two, and if you're new, welcome. There is going to be a new episode of Some Sanity every Wednesday morning. Like I said, you can listen to it on your way to work with just the audio on all of your podcasting platforms available, whatever one you want to use. But if you want to see this gorgeous face, then you can go onto YouTube because I put the video version, the full video version onto my YouTube and I'll post the fun clips onto Instagram. So be sure to follow me there. You guys, I just have one pitch. This is completely free. Freedom is not free, but this podcast totes my goats is. Um, so please consider just supporting in the fashion of supporting my content. That means liking and engaging, commenting, and of course, leaving a five-star review on the podcast platform. I would super duper appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. I won't do that anymore for the rest of the episode. I pinky promise. But this is, you guys, come on, brand spanking new episode, brand spanking new show. And I could use all the support I can get because this is just in my free time. I'm doing this because I really, really think this is the way forward for conservatives to just get a little bit more casual. So welcome back for episode number two. This is going to be less about talking about one sort of subject. And instead, we are breaking down some of the weirdest things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. 2020 has not gotten any better than 2020 or 2021 has not gotten any better than 2020. And I've just shook my head whenever I saw people making like these hopeful memes. I remember in December, people were like, we're almost to the end. It's like, what, what aspect of critical thinking are you lacking to think that it's going to flip on a dime on January 1st? So just any of this is going to get better. It's not getting better anytime soon. And you know, now that we had these new strains, as soon as I started to see that come out a few months ago, I was like, yep, we're about to repeat the entire year but just for the new strains. My dad and my mom are like, not political, but they are freaking out at this point because even when you get the vaccine, now they're saying you still have to wear a mask because you could spread it. It's like, what? What do you mean? I thought the point is that then you can't get it. So the science is just insane on this and everybody's losing hope. Everybody's losing faith. At the same time, I feel really inspired as a conservative, and I'll get a little bit more into this later, but in general, with the mess of COVID, I see a lot of hope for us because it's showing young Americans, first of all, hopefully, in the long run, I'm being a little too optimistic here, I really do hope that eventually our generation is going to be able to look at what communist China did and the impact it had on the world thanks to the lies that it spread about COVID-19. I specifically remember when I saw, oh, communist China says that COVID-19 doesn't spread from person to person. So we can all stop freaking out as much as we were. Cause at, at the time in the beginning of 2020, we didn't really know what was going on. Well, first of all, you can't trust a communist regime. You can never trust the numbers or the information that's coming from them. But I at least kind of was hoping that when it came to a pandemic, when it came to such a big concern that would be worldwide and literally shut the world down, maybe they wouldn't lie about this one. Nope. They told us it didn't spread from person to person. Next thing you know, Nancy Pelosi's like, everyone come to Chinatown. Stop being racist. Hmm. Okay. I'm not going to go on a rant about this, but 
Overall, I think, first of all, young Americans struggle in the sense of we've never felt that direct impact of socialism or communism. And a lot of people say that's why we support it at such a large and growing rate. And I would argue that, hey, this COVID-19 experience and the fact that it sprouted from communist China is going to be the first time our, our lives have ever been impacted by socialism or communism. So hopefully we will be able to make that connection for them in the long run. Hopefully they'll open their eyes to see that perspective. But second, I think seeing the overbearing arms of the government and what government is able to tell us to do and not do and the fact that they're able to just stop society from moving on and still politicize everything while we are all struggling and suffering hopefully young people will look at that and say wow maybe i don't trust government or like government as much and later in the episode we're going to talk about some new poll numbers that came out showing young americans and their crazy views but i will say i find hope from those two situations I just talked about. And I also find hope in a number that came from the Victims of Communism poll that said only five to 6% of young Americans actually trust the government to act in their best interest, actually trust the government to, to behave in a way that would benefit an individual and themselves. So when I see only five to 6% of young people trust the government, but then I see 70% of young people are also willing to vote for a socialist, I get optimistic and hopeful in that because I'm like, hey, if they knew the truth, I bet you they would not support socialism because then they would understand that supporting socialism means giving government full control, creating a government monopoly for the system, for every industry. And of course, I thought leftists and young people are supposed to hate the system, you know, fight the power. But if we can make that connection, I, I think we'll be pretty successful in terms of the conservative movement moving forward. That brings me into the first topic. Oh boy, Rush Limbaugh passed away. And of course, everybody loves him, except for the left. But I just wanted to share one of my favorite quotes that uh, he said. He said it as speech at CPAC. CPAC shared the video, um, and it was just awesome. It was a great reminder of what he stood for. And he got on stage and he said, I am Rush Limbaugh, and I want every single one of you in this room to succeed. I want any force, any person, any element of an overarching big government that would stop your success, I want them to fail. I want you to succeed. And that well wishing whoops sorry my phone the wishing someone well and wishing others well hoping that other people succeed maybe you know them maybe you don't but having positive thoughts and and hoping that others succeed out in their own dreams and ambitions in life that is really the conservative message hoping that you can live your best life and young people are always saying that on social media right like oh my god living my best life guess where you would get to live your best life in a country where there's classical liberalism, individual freedom, and restricted levels of government. Whoa! Living my best life! <laughs> oh, man. I'm so cool and hip, right? Um, but that's one of my favorite Rush quotes. Uh, of course, the big topic is the fact that everybody freaked out when he died. Conservatives were obviously sad. Leftists were, like, dancing in the streets. <laughs> And it was just disgusting to see. I have some of my favorites. Let's go over what the tolerant, loving left has said about one of the most mainstream national figures for the conservative movement. Because, of course, the left is trying to unify us, right? They're all about unity these days. It, it's the leader of their party's platform, apparently, according to his inauguration speech. It's all about unity. But let's see what the lefties and the liberals had to say about Rush Limbaugh when he passed away. Okay, first of all, 
I had an OAN interview last week and I shared it. And this guy at Brocialism, I didn't get it, bro socialism, at Brocialism69420. Wow, you're super creative and funny and quirky. Great job. Brocialism69420 said, You corporate chill, Morgan. The world is a better place with Rush Limbaugh dead. Why did he have to add that in there? I don't get it. But one of the guys who always replies to my stuff with mean stuff replied to that and said, thanks for speaking the truth, brother. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, thank you for having the courage to be a jerk on Twitter. You courageous hero, brocialism69420. Wow, what a courageous man you are. Okay, I I digress. Um, Yale law professor uh, Scott Shapiro tweeted, I wouldn't say I was happy that Rush Limbaugh died. It's more like euphoria. (laughs) And that brings me back to something I mentioned in the last episode. Remember when I mentioned the Fountainhead? And how Ayn Rand talks about to create a a movement where you're able to control a massive group of people, you have to get those people to rely on you. You have to get rid of their souls. And once you can control those empty souls, you can really control the man. And I see this of somebody saying that they're experiencing euphoria just because somebody who disagreed with them politically, a mainstream conservative commentator died He's feeling euphoria, and and this was a great example of what Ayn Rand was talking about. This guy lacks any sense of fulfillment and happiness and joy and grace in his life, and he gets satisfaction and fulfillment instead from these weird political experiences, and he feels like he's getting satisfaction and euphoria from a political opponent's death. That's when you have people who lack value, who lack grace and lack fulfillment in life. You're going to have what we have in the American left these days. They're bitter, they're jealous, they're angry, and pretty soon I have a feeling they're going to be violent, more so than what we saw in 2020. But if that's what they're saying about mainstream people when they pass away, I can only imagine what's going to come in the future for America. It's disgusting. Um, Charlotte Clymer, she's always doing stuff. I feel like I see her doing a new thing all the time, but she was also the former press secretary for rapid response for the human rights campaign. And she called Rush Limbaugh a coward and a white supremacist. Did you know I'm one of those two? I'm a sexist. I'm a bigot. I'm a white supremacist. I'm a, what are the other ones? Homophobic. I'm a Satanist. And I was recently called a Luciferian. Oh, and of course, I'm called the C-U-N-T word quite a lot. So I'm all of those things. I'm glad to know Rush Limbaugh is in my little bubble of people who also gets called a white supremacist when we're actually not racist or white supremacist people at all. Oh, wait, it's not just a little bubble. The left calls every single person from the middle and onward towards the right a racist. And it's not surprising at all. Thanks, Charlotte. Uh, This one's sad because Jared just got me into watching Rick and Morty. And by that, I mean, like I've seen three episodes and I was kind of like, it's kind of funny. I'm more of a South Park person if I'm going to watch a dumb cartoon style thing like that. Um, But Rick and Morty, a writer for that wrote R.I.P. Rush Limbaugh, died 69 years later than he should have. Classy. You love to see it. Thanks. Thank you so much. Glad you're succeeding in Hollywood. Okay, and this one, this guy, 
I couldn't help but laughing at this one. And I bet you Rush would laugh at this one too. This guy, the editor-at-large at Media Matters, Parker Malloy, tweeted, my, sincere, my sincerest condolences go out to Hell's other residents who now have to deal with being associated with him. Uh, okay. So what I'm imagining, <laughs> what I'm imagining right now is, you know how we say that Americans on the left are incredibly privileged. It is incredibly privileged for them to be able to complain about the American way of life, about the American system, the American economy, and the problems that we have here as if people aren't sacrificing themselves, putting their lives on the line to make it to America's shores to live the life that we have. They would give up so much to be able to live like this. That's why whenever I drive it, whenever I'm in an Uber in a city, it's almost always an immigrant that is saying, I am so thankful that I finally got here. I would do anything to get here. And I can't believe people are so ungrateful for living in America. Absolutely. And so when you have the leftists talking like idiots like that in front of immigrants, they look so tone deaf. They look so privileged. I can't even believe it. Now, I think the next version of that is leftists saying that they're apologizing to the people in hell for average conservatives now going to, apparently we're going to hell and having to spend time next to the people in hell. So I, in my head, I'm envisioning this image of like the, the guy, Parker Malloy, I'm, I'm picturing him apologizing to all the people in hell. So like Satan, Hitler, Jeffrey Dahmer, the KKK, dictators, serial killers, and, and pedophiles. And he's just like, I am so sorry that Rush Limbaugh is now going to be near you in your safe space. And if he is a threat, please feel free to report him to the Gulag and we will send him to the guillotine because that is the next step from the Gulag. I am so sorry that you guys have to do this and um, please let me know how I can help and be there for you in solidarity. Thank you. And then everybody, all the serial killers and pedophiles and dictators are just like, uh, is this guy okay? Um, did he really just say that? <laughs> I don't know. These people are idiots. Okay, next. Um, what happens when leftists give us death threats? I was asked last podcast, people were like, is it worth the time replying to the trolls on social media? The only time it is worth replying to the trolls is when they're being absolute hypocrites. And so the tolerant left, whenever they're being intolerant with me, whenever they're telling me that I'm hateful and that I need to die and that I'm just like this woman toy for men on my side of the aisle to play around with and tell me what to say. That's when I like to engage with them and be like, oh, thank you so much for your tolerance and acceptance of diversity of thought and your pro-womanness. Thank you so much. Um, but what I also like to talk about is just the fact that I get a lot of death threats, okay? Leftists don't just want uh, to win the political argument. They they want us to die, and they've made that very clear. So I get a lot of, like, guillotine death threats. For some reason, I get a lot of, like, chop goes the head death threats. And, of course, I get threatened to be sent to the gulag all the time. That's going to be fantastic. But, honestly, guys, it, when a communist tells me to F off on Twitter, or when a communist says that they want me dead, I take that as a badge of honor. And I can only imagine that the people celebrating Rush Limbaugh's death, they're not exactly nice people. They're not exactly the people that you want on your side in the first place. 
because they're wishing their political enemies dead. And that says a lot more about them than it does of our side, of, of Rush, of, of anybody. And so I would take that as a badge of honor. And if people are celebrating your death, you've probably done something right if they're people promoting authoritarian, radical, deadly, and historically failure-like policies. So um, a good one for that. And like I said, if a communist is telling you to F off on Twitter or telling you that they want you dead, take it as a badge of honor, take it as a badge of pride, and just run with it because it's just hilarious that they're the side of tolerance and they want us dead because they can't possibly imagine having to have a serious conversation with us. Um, And on top of that, you guys, it's not even shocking that they were acting like this. I I did an OAN interview, and one of the questions was, um, is this shocking behavior from the left, or is this a sign, their celebration of Russia's death, is this a sign that times are getting more and more uh, dangerous in America and more and more divisive? And I was like, are you kidding me? Do you remember what they did with Andrew Breitbart when he passed away, or Herman Cain when they mocked him because he passed away of COVID and, God forbid, he didn't support every single crazy, radical, authoritarian COVID restriction that the left was trying to pass? Or what about Justice Scalia? Every time a mainstream conservative passes away, no radical or anything, just a mainstream conservative, every time they pass away, the left likes to celebrate, they like to mock, and they like to dance in the streets. And so I wasn't shocked at all when they did this for Rush. And I really just see it as a moment for us to reflect as a movement and say, those are the people we're up against, the kind of people that celebrate when we die. How do we want to move forward? I would say, kind of make it moot. Render their their celebrations moot. They are celebrating the fact that Rush Limbaugh is not on earth anymore, that he is not able to engage with them politically, not able to be a part of the battle. But guess what? He lives in like tens of millions of Americans. Tens of millions of Americans grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh, love him so much, and are going to continue to push for his messaging with his spirit. And so we can honor Rush Limbaugh by living like Rush Limbaugh. We can honor him by living with the same tenacity, the same relentlessness, the same vigor and compassion that he had, that he brought to the movement. And so living like him is the best way to honor him. And it also is going to piss the left off because they are only celebrating his death because they are glad they don't have to go against him in the political arena anymore. So let's remind them that he still lives on in millions of us. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, I would say, though, that's a, kind of a sad little transition into the next topic because we've got some ground to make up if we really are going to to honor this man and to make sure the future of America is strong. Okay, um, a new article. Where is it from? Um, a new article from the New York Post. It's written by Rav Aurora. Maybe I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm so sorry if I am. But it's titled Politicized, Woke, and Afraid. Gen Z starts, or Gen Z needs to start thinking critically. Now, this is all about new numbers coming out about Gen Z's political views, about their intolerance. And for me, I hope that you guys can look at this and say, crap, this looks bad. But especially after Rush just passed away, we have to continue to move forward in the movement. We have to reach as many young minds with the truth about socialism, the truth about authoritarianism, and the truth about overbearing government before it's too late. So we have to reach as many of them as possible, and I really am excited. The fact that Rush passed away was so incredibly sad, but at the same time, I feel this sense of excitement 
to be able to go out and take his message and, and his energy and his passion into my own work. And I, I hope that we can all do that in our own lives and in our own, our own ways. And, and hopefully we'll be able to back that, uh, hopefully we'll be able to fix this, but let's get into what this article says because it is pretty, pretty troubling. Okay. So the first little paragraph I want to read, it says, Capitalism and all its manifestations are now considered dangerous, while advocating for socialism, the new requisite philosophy for entering the cool kids club, is viewed positively by 61% of Gen Z. A third of young adults polled last year supported abolishing the police more than any other age group. Blinded by myopic visions of cultural revolution, some young people even justify violence. One poll showed 64% of college students agreed that last year's anti-police rioting and looting is justified to some degree. Now, people who aren't involved in this kind of work are probably going to look at that and be like, oh my goodness, what the heck? That's insane. We're doomed. But I've got to let you guys know, these numbers aren't that shocking. Uh, When I first started Young Americans Against Socialism, it was because I was starting to see 2019 polls and 2018 polls that were showing numbers like 58% of young Americans would choose socialism for the future of the country. Victims of Communism came out with a poll in 2019 that said 70% of young Americans would vote for a socialist. But remember what I said in the beginning of the episode, 70% of young people say they'd vote for a socialist. At the same time, five to 6% of that same population say that they don't trust the government to act in their best interest. And they don't trust the government to really be a, a good system at all. And so for me, I see that as very optimistic for us moving forward, because it shows they just don't understand what socialism is. So we can reach them with the truth. That being said, this goes much further beyond, oh, just making sure young people understand the definitions of economics. Instead, this is like truly deeply rooted in the failures of the education system. And so not properly teaching history, not properly teaching comparative history, not properly passing down what's going on in current events. And so when we learned about communist China, we kind of learned about Mao's cultural revolution. We learned a little bit about Tiananmen Square massacre. And um, I, I think that was kind of it. But we don't understand that that same regime is still up and running. That's the same China that we're dealing with now. And that communist China has two million constant or. Two million Muslims in their concentration camps. The fact that they did the one-child policy where they forced sterilizations and abortions. The fact they're forcing sterilizations onto the women in the concentration camps now. And the fact that American companies are linked to factories that are subsidized to be built right next to the concentration camps. And then the workers are sent to the factories and then are forced to work for free. But the slavery there is hidden under a false term of like vocational training program and stuff like that. Do you think we're taught that in the school system of America these days? No, we are not. And that's where all this is coming from. And so the next number we have to be worried about is like two thirds of Americans are actually not aware that the CCP has killed more people than Nazi Germany. So those kind of basic numbers, I think you, a lot of people in the conservative movement also reference the fact that most people think Nazi Germany killed more people than the USSR and that more people died from Nazism than communism. A lot of people don't understand a hundred million deaths or so are linked to communism. And so that's the kind of stuff we really have to focus on and we really have to pass down to younger Americans. Um, And personally, one of the facts that really upset me from that 2019 Victims of Communism poll is the fact that about 60 
or more percent of our generation believes that the Declaration of Independence better guarantees freedom and equality over the Communist Manifesto. Only 60%. And that's compared to the silent generation of 95%. Okay, so from the silent generation to now Gen Z and millennials, it went from 95% of people wanting the Declaration of Independence for freedom and equality more so than the Communist Manifesto. And now it's like 60% of our generation. That is way too close for comfort, okay? I do not like that at all. And it's very, very worrisome. But again, this is about fully understanding the concepts. And I do believe since that 5 to 6% number was showing only 5 to 6%, trust the government, we have to show them that socialism and communism does not give power to the people. It gives more power to the government. That's what this is all about. Okay. I think part of this also plays into, I don't know if you guys heard this over the last few years, but as Gen Z was kind of becoming its own generation, I, for me, I'm like the last month of the last year of millennials, or I'm considered a Gen Z. Sometimes the dates are different if you look at different sources, but as millennials were kind of aging up and becoming young adults and Gen Z was really taking shape in high school and college, people were starting to say that Gen Z would become the most conservative generation we've seen in a long time because they had the internet and they had access to information. But I would say just because we have the ability to Google things does not mean that we're going to be like, hey, I I wish that this was the case, but it does not mean that young people are going to say, hey, let me Google why individual rights and classical liberalism and capitalism are actually really, really good, even though pop culture and the mainstream media and the education system and my college campus are all forcing the leftist ideology. Let me just go Google this in my free time. It's a little a little too optimistic for us to assume that that's the case. And I think we're seeing the tail end of that where that assumption was quite wrong of us to make. And so people thought that Gen Z would be very conservative, but these numbers are truly concerning. We have to reach them with the truth. And I could get into this in something else, and it may be a different conversation, but now we've had both millennials and Gen Z go through this entire system where you have the education system failing them, failing to pass down crucial information on history, current events, on on comparative history, economics, policy, and finance, and... On top of that, you have the pop culture, you have the mainstream media, you have Hollywood, you have uh, their college campuses. All of this is just lamenting all of the information that they either failed to get or were passed incorrectly in the classroom in high school and middle school. What do we do when a third generation comes up? Are we going to let them go through the same situation? A fourth? A fifth? And then we have five generations of Americans. That's how you lose a country. That's how we're going to lose America. You let the next generation after Gen Z go through what millennials and Gen Z went through. Then you now have three generations of people who are brainwashed, falling for the lies of the left. That is why we can't just focus on reacting and and trying to get information to Gen Z and millennials. We have to get proactive and figure out how we're going to change the actual system. Leftists talk about structural change and systemic change. Well, guess what? I think conservatives are actually the ones who advocate for systemic change and structural change. We're actually advocating for real change instead of just paying off student loan debt we're saying why not i don't know reduce the cost of college hold people accountable who are overcharging going at the system structural change um but yeah so my goal long term is to transition from just reaching people who did not get the the crucial information in middle school high school and college i want to transition out of that 
and maybe do both. And so figure out how we can reach the third generation that's about to go through the education system. How can we structurally change the education system? How can we structurally change the American family structure to be more responsible and, and take more control on how we raise our kids to understand history, economics, policy, and finance instead of relying on the public school paid for by the government and controlled by the government to teach our kids that big government is bad. Why would we why would we be so stupid to make the assumption that a government school is going to teach our kids that big government and more taxes are bad? That was kind of a big mistake on our part if you think about it. <laughs> really frustrating, I guess you could say. So, um the article goes on that I was talking about earlier in the Washington or in the New York Post and the next section that I want to read goes The rise of orthodoxy comes with a growing intolerance. Alternate perspectives that deviate from the mainstream aren't just discomforting to young people, they're treated as a mortal threat. Just over 50% of Gen Z college students believe shouting down speakers or trying to prevent them from talking is sometimes or always acceptable. Okay, so with this quote, we can obviously see that our country, especially our younger generations, are shifting away from the concepts of classical liberalism where you are free to be, you have rights, God-given rights, you are able to live your life, you should not be told what to do, what to think, or how to be. You should be able to be free in that way. We are abandoning that in America these days, and instead we are going back to the old archaic ideas of authoritarianism, where thought is controlled, action and behavior are controlled, and in the end, that leads to the control of political support, so that people who are in power with authoritarian ideas and plans basically can't get removed from power, because they will threaten to take away services that you rely on that are now provided by the government if you don't support them in the next upcoming phony election. We're going down a very bad bad path here. And I'm really sad to see um, my generation specifically, instead of being the true social justice warriors and advocating for individual freedom and for people to not be oppressed, they are actively trying to shut down speech in the name of seeking justice and progress. And that is what is so disturbing to witness. I cannot believe we are witnessing this. And I sometimes think about People in the future are going to read about these moments in a history book, and are they going to look at it and say, what the heck were Americans on the left thinking? How did people fall for this? I think if you look at this from a bird's eye view and you just look at the facts in the paper, I I have a feeling people with an outside perspective would be able to say, how the heck did they fall for this? It is, is shameful. So, I really do care about fixing the understanding of classical liberalism. For me, even, I don't think I was really taught this enough in the education system or in college. I wish I had a better understanding of it, but at the same time, there's also the stereotype of of liberals. And so I'm the first one to admit, I've made fun of libs before. I've, I've owned the libs before. I've joked about it. And many conservatives use that term. It's just like when we overuse the term socialism. 
when we overuse the term socialism, young people are like, oh, so you're saying a tax is socialism? I guess I'm a socialist. Or you're saying helping people who are struggling and helping fight poverty is socialist? Then sure, I'm a socialist. Do you see how easy it is for them to make that connection? Well, it's kind of having that same effect when we overuse the term liberal. Now when we talk about classical liberalism, I mean, I've been accused of being a lib. They're like, oh, have you betrayed us? Are you a traitor? Are you blue now? No, 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 no. Classical liberalism and capitalism used to be that foundation that we could stand on together as a country. And that's what's the differentiating factor between authoritarians and the people in America that have made this country so great. And I follow a lot of leftists on Twitter. I'll I'll let you guys know in a little secret. Okay, ever since I started Yes, I started following like the big names of the communists and socialists and Marxists on Twitter, the most prominent and popular ones. And I get tweet notifications for them because it's, first of all, very entertaining to see what they say on current events and all that stuff. But it's also really helpful to see where they're coming from. And one of the most common things I see is them attacking Democrats and Republicans and liberals and conservatives in the same boat and specifically attacking liberals and Democrats, saying that they're no better than capitalists. They're no better than than Republicans. They're the same thing where the from the same cloth and they truly see america as a a right country compared to the rest of the world and so they say in the rest of the world you have the conservative party which is kind of like i don't know i would say like a jfk democrat style at this point versus an actual socialist leftist side and in america what we've always had what's made us so great is that we've at least been able to say you know what we are going to stand together on this base of classical liberalism and capitalism and then argue it out as Republicans and Democrats and, you know, a little bit of in between and a little bit off on the fringes, but we're at least going to stand on this platform together. And now we're seeing the dismantling of that agreement, of that system. And I see that with the Democrats and the leftists now the left is basically infiltrating the Democrats and they are taking control of the party platform. They are taking control and they are shifting the Overton window on a lot of issues. Specifically though, we have to pay attention to them trying to strip away protections in our government system that are specifically in place to prevent radicals and crazy things from happening in the country, from radicals from taking over. And that means getting rid of the filibuster like they want to. It means packing the court the way they want to. It means getting rid of the electoral college. All of those things are set into place to provide checks and balances and to provide an equal playing field and a spread out and even spread of power throughout the country. And what I love about capitalism is the fact that it provides average Americans with economic power. And when you have economic power and independence, you are able to be truly financially and personally independent and free. And the left, when we have to give up economic power to the government, when we can't own businesses, when we can't own property, when we can't control those things in our lives and make a living for ourselves, when we have to rely on the government, we are truly not free anymore. And the left wants to transition us to that kind of that kind of situation. And we're seeing Gen Z embrace authoritarian ideas, rejecting classical liberalism. And not only are we seeing that on the fringes of social media, but now we're seeing it in the halls of Congress. We're seeing it with Bernie Sanders, who's now leading the budget committee. I saw that earlier today. <sighs> you guys, things are getting a little crazy. And I don't, I don't want to freak anyone out, but I think it's a little naive to say, oh, it can never happen here in America. I have heard time and time again from survivors of socialist countries that they said the same thing, okay? I, we interviewed Gabby Franco from uh, Venezuela. She's on the Olympic shooting team in Venezuela. And 
when she was younger, she got worried about Chavez coming to power, and she actually was one of the only people in her life and her family to make the trip to America. And now she's so thankful that she did because look what happened. And she was telling me this story. We interviewed her about it for Yes. Uh, she was telling me this story about how her shooting coach for the Olympic team was actually from Cuba. And when Chavez started to come to power, when he was promising all these things like progress and democratic socialism and, and social justice, all those classic liberal words or leftist words, he started saying, you guys, he sounds like Castro, the same Castro that I fled my life to Venezuela for. Please listen to me. And everybody was like, oh, it could never happen here. Okay. We aren't an island like Cuba. We are rich. We are resource rich. We're one of the most resource rich countries in the continent. That's impossible. It could never happen here. Socialism won't take over. And Gabby says in her story, everybody told them it could never happen in Venezuela. And I was lucky enough to be one of the only people to flee in time before socialism came and took over and ruined the country. And now I'm here in America saying the same thing my Olympic coach was telling me that, that this is going to happen to America too, just like it happened to Venezuela. And everybody's telling me, no, it couldn't possibly happen here. And so we would be so naive to assume that America is exempt from a socialist takeover. And I'm, again, it's not going to be like a violent takeover or anything like that. It's going to be a slow decay of our system. And that's what we're seeing now. We have Democrats in control that are being led by the far left. They are in control of the House, the Senate, and the White House. And that's exactly what they need. It's going to be the start of the slow decay of our economy and of our system. That's what we're up against right now. And when we think about, oh, the political world, I think all of us have been talking about this concept of, of cancel culture. And Mark Levin, I have a super duper crush on Mark Levin, not in a romantic way. I just love him so much. And all of quarantine, I basically listened to him every morning. And so I had this routine where I would listen to the podcast version of his radio show from the day before. I would wake up. I would start playing the podcast. I would make my coffee playing the podcast. I'd go for my run playing the podcast. I lived on top of a mountain in upstate New York before I moved to Texas. And I literally would just put my headphones on and run down the mountain. And then I'd run back up the mountain being like, I am going to fight for America intellectually. <laughs> and as I'm listening to Mark Levin, like yell into his microphone. And then I would get back, I would do my core workout, the rest of my workout, and then I would shower, listening to Mark Levin, and then I would get done, and as soon as I opened my laptop to start my emails, then I would stop listening to the episode. But I love him so much, and he had one of the best points on cancel culture. He was like, you guys, why are we falling for the, the rhetoric of the left? Why are we using their language as if it's some fluffy, oh, cancel culture, you're canceled now because you did something wrong. No, it's the erasure of your existence from society. It's you being told now that you can no longer participate in society because we don't agree with your political views. It's not just a little cancel culture. So stop acting like this isn't some Mao's cultural revolution style erasure of any political enemies and opponents of the left. Because that's what it is. And that brings me to a good point where I get really frustrated when I say something like, you know, I'm disappointed that Disney filmed Mulan, a children's movie, right next to the concentration camps in China and gave credit to the concentration camp safety or security bureau and gave, and gave credit in the movie credits to the security bureau. I can't talk today. Um, in the end of the movie. 
thanking them. It's like insane. And so when I say something like that and say, that makes me not want to do Disney Plus anymore. I won't be supporting Disney and I won't be buying Mulan. I say something like that. The left goes, oh, now you're participating in cancel culture. How does it feel? Like I thought you thought it was bad and now you're canceling companies you don't support. And I'm just... It's a little different, okay? It's a little bit different considering I'm, and many conservatives are saying, hey, Netflix put out a movie sexualizing girls in the single digits age zone and they're like opening their legs for the camera in an actual sexual way. That makes me feel uncomfortable and I see that as highly inappropriate and it kind of supports pedophilia. So I'm not going to subscribe to Netflix anymore. That is my statement. I'm voting with my wallet. That's what a conservative says. Or just like what I said about China, they say, you know, I don't really want to support a company that films right next to a concentration camp and then has the gall to thank the security bureau in the credits of the children's movie. I'm not going to support Disney+. Plus. That is is a statement of saying, I don't really want my dollars to go to an unethical practice. The left, though, they say something like, one time in high school, I think this girl said something racist maybe, or I think I remember this time, and because of that, she should be fired from her job, she should be released from her contract, she should be, uh, she, her acceptance to college should be canceled, she needs to be removed from society, nobody can have her on their shows anymore, they must be removed from participating in any way, and on top of that, they're now just taking candidates off of platforms, so no more participating on social media, which is the public square of 2020. Let's act. Let's stop acting like, oh, it's just a little social media account. No, this is how people communicate these days. Stop acting like it's not a big deal. You're removed from social media now if you don't agree with the lies of the left and if you don't push their their platform. And not only that, but you're told by Shopify, you can't sell products, you can't sell shirts, you can't sell your things using our website anymore. You cannot use your credit card processing company if you don't align with us anymore. If you want to get canceled, if you want to be a conservative. And it's seeping now beyond just like, oh, in politics, sometimes people that do wrong things are getting canceled or say the wrong things are getting canceled and and start trending on Twitter. It's going way beyond that into like average everyday life. And so businesses, individuals, candidates for political party, even myself, I was literally told by Facebook, if I don't stop my content, then I am going to be removed permanently from their platform. And what the heck does that even mean? And they've already said that they have officially limited my engagement. My bigger concern, though, is when you start to have just basic companies, what if the basic companies start coming out as a little bit conservative and then something happens and the company says, okay, you can no longer process your credit card transactions using our site. You can no longer use our banking services. Banks drop conservative businesses and conservative accounts. All this stuff is really what's in our future. So thinking outside of the political scope and more into how it's going to affect average Americans that just have basic conservative values, that's what we're going to be facing over the next 10 years or so, I would say. And when we think of looking outside of the political scope and into, you know, pop culture and everything, of course, we had the Gina Carano, maybe I'm pronouncing her name wrong, uh, when she was fired from The Mandalorian because she posted something about how the Holocaust didn't just come around, it came around because initially 
people were starting to see their neighbors as their enemies, and they grew a deep hatred for neighbors, people that you are not supposed to hate. And that's how you turn to that violent step. And she didn't say anything of saying, oh, conservatives are basically the, the Jews of today, and, and or the Jews of 1940s. Instead, she was just saying that political violence doesn't just come out of nowhere. Political violence starts with true hatred for people in your own community just because they are different than you, they live different, or they think differently than you. And what was so great about Gina's story is that once she was canceled, Daily Wire had the platform and the infrastructure to say, hey, welcome to the team. Would you like to not be canceled? Would you like to use our platform? And I think that's the future for conservatives. How can we show the left that you aren't the only providers of these services anymore? You aren't the only platforms. We now have the infrastructure to fight back and show that you literally cannot cancel us anymore. And it's so weird to me because we're like the pro-business side conservatives are. And at the same time, we lack the business infrastructure of our movement in so many ways. We don't have the social media accounts. We're, we're building them now, but we're so behind in that, in big tech, in social media, in Hollywood, in, in movie production. All of those things are where we're lacking, even though I would say conservatives are definitely more creative and we're definitely more in support of business and entrepreneurship. So it, it's a little weird dichotomy for me to see that, but I am so happy to see that we finally have solutions and alternatives for once people stand up and show that they're conservative, they can't be canceled. Because like Gina had the opportunity to, she went to Daily Wire and now she's going to come back swinging. And I love it. Um, But that's really the lesson for us is how can we make our own infrastructure and our own movement so that average Americans and people in the middle who aren't willing to comply do not get canceled and removed from society. The next thing of cancel culture though. So Gina had a really positive story. I have a more frustrating one. Um, Solly baby. I don't know if I'm the only one that knows about this stuff, but you guys have to hear this story. This is a great example of cancel culture, not just being about political commentary and, and trending on social media and stuff like that. Okay. So Solly baby, I really want to have babies one day. I'm so excited for that. I'm not like, Oh, I'm just going to, force myself to have babies one day and rush it. It's just I'm excited for that time in my life, and I I can't wait. I'm patient, though. And because of that, I follow a lot of baby companies and maternity clothes, things, all that stuff. And Solly Baby is this cute little wrap company. And so it's to be able to hold your really young baby close to you in a wrapped-up, fashionable way so that you could be dressed up and you're able to hold your baby super nice and close to your chest and you still look super cute. Either way, I I know maybe boys are listening like Morgan, I really don't care. Um, So Solly Baby, they have this wrap and they recently came out with a new style for holding the baby. It's called the loop. So I'm like, okay, cool. This is for heavier babies and it's for older babies. And so it kind of helps when the babies start to grow. It's a different style and I'm looking at it like, okay, cool. And I'm starting to see in the comments probably a few weeks ago at this point I'm starting to see in the comments that people are like "Eh, is this a safe style like it looks like the baby could slip out right there are you sure that the baby can't fall out and that was kind of the controversy that I was seeing in the comments so I just kind of looked at that and I was like huh interesting I'll have to follow that later so I go back though and I start to realize that Solly baby stopped talking about the 
safety aspect of their rap. And instead, they're talking about how they are apologizing for offending the uh, people of color baby-wearing communities. And I'm like, did I miss something? I thought the controversy was about, like, the safety of this baby-holding contraption. No. So I see this post on Instagram, and it just says pause. It's, like, all dramatic. It literally just blank square with pause in the middle. And the message says, Dear Solly community, it's been brought to our attention in past days that we've made several missteps throughout the launch of our loop carrier that have not only disappointed but regretfully even offended members of our BIPOC and baby-wearing communities. We sincerely apologize for our lack of foresight and recognition of these missteps, and we will be taking a temporary pause to reflect, research, and respond to the voices that have generously spoken up, spoken out, and let us know they expect better. And so blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, it goes, all our love, the Solly team. P.S. We have chosen to disable comments on this post, take a full step away, and allow time to truly reflect and create an action plan. Looking forward to sharing next week. So I'm like, uh, I wish I could read that comment section because I really want to know what people were complaining about. And so I did a little digging, and it turns out that because the style of the loop wrap, again, this is literally just fabric and a loop, and then you put the baby right here nothing too revolutionary. It's, I mean, if you think about it, baby wearing has been a concept, been a thing since the beginning of humankind. The first baby had to be held in some sort of way. And nobody had a pioneering right over one style of baby holding. Why is that so crazy? But the problem is that the style of rap that she just released for Sally Baby happened to be too similar to a way that women of color in the past have been holding their babies before. And she didn't give proper credit to the women of color who were from the baby-wearing communities that have done that style. And people felt like she was culturally appropriating the baby rap. Yes, the baby rap. So I'm like, this is a joke, right? And no, it wasn't. Because a few days later, she released a story or a video on Instagram. And this video, I thought it was kind of nice. I mean, it was just kind of straight up like, I'm very sorry about this. Thank you for your patience. Here's my explanation on this. Uh, we, we truly made a misstep and, and we apologize and we didn't mean to offend anyone and we certainly had no ill intent. We weren't trying to steal any concept. Um, we were just really excited about this and we didn't put enough thought into it. So I thought that was great, simple and explained like we had no harm that we intended to you. And we certainly didn't mean to rip anything off from any baby wearing communities. I also love this new term, baby wearing communities. Okay. And so in the comments, there's all these women that are like, yes, oh my gosh, this is so sweet. Like how sweet of you to acknowledge that people are upset. Thank you for showing grace and humility. And I'm like, okay, what a nice way to go about it. Right. If you're going to apologize to the mob, then sure. Because the problem here is that this is a very small minority mob that's just really, really loud, okay? It's a minority amount of people, a small, tiny little group that happens to be very, very loud on social media. And so you feel like the mob is coming at you. You cannot bow to the mob. This baby company chose to, and now they're dealing with it. So first, the video comes out and people are all happy about it. But I found out either they must be deleting comments or something because I don't see any of the controversy in the comment section. So after the video is released, uh uh-oh, Bad news, you guys. This did not go over well. 
the women of color in the baby wearing communities were not happy with her apology because she made it about herself trying to explain where she was coming from instead of making the apology about the women of color who were offended. I don't even know what that means, but let's read the next note that we had. So this time it's a picture of a Maya Angelou quote. It says, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. And here's the caption. And this is what irks me so much and what makes it 10 times worse are the comments that come after it um, that are actually not there right now. But here we go. It says, in our efforts to know better and do better, especially when it's hard, I have read feedback relating to my statement yesterday that I would like to apologize for here. So she's apologizing for her bad apology, which wasn't even bad. One, I am sorry for centering myself in an apology intended for black, indigenous, and people of color. I can see that I centered myself in the apology and on my own emotional weight rather than the emotional burden placed on the black, indigenous, and people of color I have offended. I am deeply sorry that in my defensive attempts to explain myself, I made it about me instead of you. I can see how that was dismissive of the apology. This, that was not my intention, but I can see that it was the impact. I was also informed that using the acronym BIPOC should only be done in writing, not in speaking, which we will be mindful of in the future. Okay, I've also have not heard this BIPOC acronym until this situation. I didn't know that there was a new acronym out there, but apparently now there is. Cultural Marxism, if you will. Number two. I am sorry for problematic support of white women's comments and not amplifying BIPOC voices. We failed in our responses to many of the comments in our post. We can see we're not continually acknowledging our missteps and the work we have to do as an organization was contradictory to our apology. So this is where it starts to get like Mao cultural revolution. Mao, when they found out that people had wrong think or whatever they wanted to call it or just disagreed with Mao's lovely ways which were just fantastic, they would have family members ready to report their own family members to Chairman Mao. And then those family members would be dragged to the center of town and either killed or tortured and punished until they provided the proper apology and showed that they had become one with the movement and showed that they really did understand their wrongdoing. So and what's terrible about this is that the family members literally knew when I report my family member for just thinking differently, I am basically sentencing them to death or torture and people would still be like giddy to run and report their family member. That's how disgusting that was. And again, that was less than a hundred years ago in China. But yeah, sure. Joe Biden in China, it's no biggie. Um, so this, it just freaks me out to see that she's apologizing for now replying in a positive way to the white women who commented and said that was a great apology because she didn't include in her thank you of the comments that, oh, but we still have a lot of work to do. It's like, we are being held to a really, really weirdly high standard for how apologetic and how on our knees we have to be to the woke mob on social media. Again, this is a baby rap company. Baby rap company. Number three. Let's move on to number three. Oh, yeah. I am sorry 
for appropriation of a carrier that was not mine to claim. We introduced our carrier as a brand new carrying style rather than our take on a short cross carry with a ring that emerged over a decade ago in many BIPOC communities. This also reveals our lack of acknowledgement of the deep roots and unbroken tradition of baby wearing in communities of black, indigenous, and people of color that have given the baby wearing world so much. We look forward to learning and sharing more of this history as we celebrate the gift of baby wearing and the many cultures and peoples and histories that have, often at great personal expense, shared this gift with all of us. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I really just, I feel creeped out by this because, like I said earlier, holding a child, wrapping a child around you, whatever way you want to do it, it has been around since the beginning of humanity. Every woman, and even some men, have had to hold their babies as they do activities. And it would be ridiculous to actually think that when Solly Baby said, hey, here's our brand new style, it would be ridiculous to think that they were saying that they have invented the concept of wrapping a baby in that way with the loop, okay? They had a new style for their company. God forbid they did not say thank you so much to everyone throughout history, and here is a list of every community throughout history, every baby-wearing community member who has held their child in this fashion. It's so creepy. And what's even weirder are the comments. Here are the weird comments. It's It's... Uh, let's see. Ah, uh, man. So, okay, here we go. Sorry, it's just loading. What's weird for me is that the comments are saying, this is the apology that I knew you were capable of making. I knew you could get it out of you. All of the comments are literally saying, I knew you had the ability to do this much of an apology. It's it's like saying, thank you for getting lower on your knees for the mob. Thank you for making yourself look more pathetic, for apologizing for creating a baby rap and not thanking historic tribes and groups of women throughout history from different colors of skin who have held their child in the same fashion. That's where we're at right now. Uh, you guys, I ranted about this Solly baby thing a little too long, my bad. But um, just to finish this up, because we're reaching about an hour now, um, somebody asked, oh, somebody's asking me, what was your experience like in Texas? I will say I am so thankful to be able to just tell you guys that I did not lose power. I'm luckily in an apartment complex that only had issues with water. And really the biggest thing I was running into was just I couldn't get on the roads to go get food. And so I just had a lot of like frozen breakfast sausage and frozen corn in my freezer. And I ate a lot of that for a couple days while things were a little iffy, but I'm just, I'm really thankful that I didn't have anything crazy happen in Texas. And now it's already so exciting to see. I went out today and the ice is thawing, the sun is out and it's getting back to Texas. I mean, Jared told me that literally within the next few weeks, it's usually like swimming weather, eighties, nineties. So I'm freaking pumped. I am excited to see now that people are able to look at the damage that was done, we're able to figure out how we can help others. Jared had his house pipes burst. Um, so that's got to be fixed, but there's just so much to be thankful for that. I didn't run into any crazy problems and 
I just really appreciate everybody that called and messaged me and asked how I was doing and checked in to make sure that I had everything. So thank you all for reaching out and for checking in. Thanks for the question about my experience of the Texas ice apocalypse. What was so crazy to me is just like being from upstate New York, I have basically become a pro of driving in ice and snow. And it is a whole different ball game when you don't have the equipment. And so by that, I mean, like I didn't have snow, snow tires on my car of course, but sometimes I've driven without those in the Northeast as well. The big thing was salt. Like when you don't have salt on the road and there's just a few inches of snow and ice, things get wild, wild, like straight up turning to make a, a right turn and, or a left turn. I was turning to make a left turn. And this is when I first started realizing things were getting bad. I just, we kept going straight. <laughs> and that's when I was like, I have never experienced this before. So even an upstater, I literally live in months and months of snow every year. And this is my first time experiencing winter in Texas. Even I was like, wow, I'm not going out in this. Um, so that's kind of the issue there. People are like, Oh, I thought Texas was tough and now they're struggling. Well, yeah, I mean, nothing here is equipped for this kind of weather and there's not even salt in the road. So there's just cars all over the place and ditches. And I've seen a lot of accidents with snow in upstate New York. I'll, I'll preface it with that. But that's when there's like feet and feet of snow that are coming down. I, I remember I ended up in a ditch driving home from high school once. Um, we had a school for the first half of the day and then they decided to send us back as soon as there was like feet of snow coming down. And I went across the busy road right as the bend was coming around I went across the road ended up in the ditch and it was because I went over a big pile of snow and went it was just a big mess but um yeah Texas will be okay we've got people that we have to help now that the we've seen the damage that's been done and and hopefully everybody will be in a better place soon thank you for checking in um last question let's see next question was how do you handle being a conservative woman in such a hateful time Ooh, well, <laughs> I would say for me, when it comes to the left, I'm either like public enemy number one to them and they feel like they have to reply to every single one of my tweets. I'm, I'm sure they just like set tweet notifications or something because I'm actually surprised how engaging they are with their hate. And they just tell me that I'm dumb and they reply that Nordic Europe isn't socialist and stuff like that. And it's just the same talking points that have been debunked over and over again. Or they tell me that I'm just like an empty headed puppet that is told what to say based on whatever Republican conservative male is in my life. Um, with Yas, they say that I have a secret board of old men that hired me to run it. And I'm like, oh, if only you know, I quit my job, gave my two weeks and just won it. Yeah, yeah, really a little puppet there. Um, so that's kind of the thing with like the pro women, pro women's empowerment left. They're super hypocritical in that sense. And I get a lot of like inappropriate comments of like, maybe somebody should just grab her by the pussy and then she wouldn't think the way that she does. Maybe she'd see the, the faults of her side, blah, blah, blah. It's just really gross. Um, but Another thing that really bothers me is the fact that conservative women go through the same issues liberal women go through, women on the left too, and our experiences are definitely not as valid to them. And so sexual harassment or experience that experiencing that kind of situation in the workplace, it's not as valid when a conservative woman speaks out about it. They aren't trusted. I mean, look at Tara Reid. She's a, a liberal, but she spoke out against a Democrat and accused him of sexual assault, and look where that got her. <laughs> Just, did not believe Tara Reid. Do not believe all women, apparently. Um, but I think that 
the left in Hollywood and all the pop culture people would get so many great stories about really standing up against overpowering men and, and crazy men that are using their power to get things that they want. They would get so many great stories from conservative women if they would just give us a few minutes to speak about them and give us a platform to do so. Um, I would say on top of that, though, a really big inspiration for me was actually seeing the women of the Trump administration, you know, political we can get into like what was good and bad about the administration, if people liked him or not. But the women in Donald Trump's administration really inspired me and the women in the Trump family. They were just so uh, gorgeous and they were so powerful in their own right. They were so successful. And for me, I think it's really important to tell women and show women that you don't have to neglect your femininity and, and get rid of it just to be successful in a career. You you can be feminine and you can act in a compassionate feminine way feminine way as well and look feminine and act like a woman without um, sacrificing your success in your career and the women of the Trump campaign and the Trump administration really showed that I mean Kayleigh McEnany hello freaking awesome and what inspired me most about her was just the way that she spoke the way that she had that binder so prepared every single time she had her child which I know I'm sure was probably insanely difficult to keep up with but she was incredibly inspiring. So for me, I think the women in the Trump administration and the Trump campaign were a great example of embracing your femininity, embracing that side of being a woman and excelling in your chosen career path. Super awesome. I hope that was helpful. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening again and for joining me in this conversation. We're reaching kind of that hour mark. Maybe I went a little bit over, but just like I said earlier, please um, consider subscribing on YouTube for the video format of this um, show. Next Wednesday, be ready for the next episode. And this is free. Please consider supporting by engaging with the content and leaving a five-star review. I would really, really appreciate that. And remember to submit your questions for next episode or any future episode to somesanity at gmail.com. I will see you guys next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye-bye.